What is good, everybody? Welcome to episode 16 of Defenders of the Bank. That's right, the LAFC podcast for the people celebrating our sweet 16 today here with our 16th episode of Defenders of the Bank. As many of you know, because you follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Defenders of the Bank and on Twitter at Defend the Bank, you know that Christian and Amanda the Panda are out in beautiful Queens, New York right now, the home of the Ramones. They are checking on Grandma Philly and then going to head down to the home of the Panda. They will be back just in time for the game against FC Cincinnati, which we'll touch on a little bit later in the podcast. And I say we will touch on because to my right here in Philomonster Studios is Scarfette. That's right, Nina, making her return to the podcast. Hey, everybody. What's up? Glad to be back here at Philomonster Studios and filling in for Philly. That's right. She's back on the podcast, everybody. We were very happy to know from Angels on Parades, Alicia, that we were the first podcast, I believe, to feature female co-hosts. So congratulations, Nina. You were one half of Part of History. I like being half of history. That's right. And here we are on episode 16. So much to talk about. But right at the top of the podcast, I want to make sure I give a shout out to one of my newest great friends on Facebook, Adrian Silvas. Thank you so much, guys. If you're listening to this, we recorded this over April 7th and April 8th, and Adrian let us know via the Facebook LAFC group that the Santa Monica Adidas store already has the Parlay jerseys in stock. So if you're listening to this, turn your car around, whatever you're doing right now, stop and head over to the Santa Monica Adidas store as they already have the Parlay jerseys in stock. A big thank you to Adrian for letting us know. And if you're part of the LAFC family and friends Facebook group, whatever it's called, I don't even know, but we're part of it. Adrian let everybody know that he bought a bunch for his soccer team, so I hit him up. Again, it's the Adidas store in Santa Monica already with the Parlay jerseys. That's some exciting news, and you guys know how we do it here on the podcast. We love to start out with the birthdays and this day in LAFC history, but let me tell you what else we are going to be talking about on episode 16. We've got a big win for the U.S. women's national team that was played at Bank of California Stadium. We'll be talking about that. Some LAFC news and notes. And then a quick check on the USL LAFC connection. That's right. We're going to go over the United Soccer League and its connections to LAFC. A bunch of teams there in the USL have got an LAFC connection. We'll also talk about the Canadian Premier League. That's right. They are getting their very own Premier League kicking off later on in the month of April. There's one LAFC connection we want to make sure we mention there. And then, of course, the big recap, the win over DC United. We are calling this episode Capital Punishment. That's right, because that's what we doled out in the nation's capital. The huge 4 nothing win, the slugfest that wasn't between Carlos Vela and Wayne Rooney. We'll talk about that a little bit more with our wait. What moment of the podcast? And then lastly, we're going to talk about a couple of significant dates coming up on the LAFC schedule, both April 13th and April 21st, including the first official Defenders of the Bank tailgate, and that will wrap up episode 16. So we hope you guys stay with us all the way through. One last little nugget, too. You're going to have to stick around to the end of the recap of the DC United game to find out which Carson Galaxy record LAFC broke after game number six of their season against DC United. So again, if you want to hear more bad news for the Galaxy, stick around for the end of our recap, of course, talking about the 4 nothing beat down in our nation's capital. So here we go on with the very first segment of our podcast. Of course, these are the birthdays. And again, we recorded this over April 7th and April 8th. So there's a couple that I wanted to mention first from April 7th and then very quickly on to April 8th. The first birthday, April 7th, 1970. Happy birthday to Mackenzie Bezos. And if you don't know who Mackenzie Bezos is, she just became the fourth 
richest woman in the world. We are talking 36 B with a billion dollars after her divorce from Jeff Bezos, the founder of a very small shipping company called Amazon. That's right. He was able to keep 75% of his wealth despite cheating on his wife multiple times with former television anchor Lauren Sanchez. But that's not whose birthday it is. It's Mackenzie Bezos's birthday, 1970. And Dodgers legend Adrian Beltre, that's right, our LAFC announcer used to be the Dodgers announcer, and I can remember him announcing Adrian Beltre as he would come into the batter's box. I hope I'm right with that because our last couple of Dodgers announcers sound the same, and I'm sure people will let us know on Twitter or Instagram that I'm wrong if I am. But born in 1979, future Hall of Famer, Adrian Beltre, of course, with the L.A. Dodgers connection. And the last one I got to throw in there, one of my favorite football players of all time, 1969, April 7th, the birthday for Ricky Waters, Super Bowl champion. Unfortunately, he also played for the University of Notre Dame. Nina, you don't know anybody that went to Notre Dame, do you? As a matter of fact, I do. My little brother went to Notre Dame for undergrad and is currently studying at Creighton. Shout out to Luke. We won't hold that against him. All right. So those are our birthdays for April 7th. But on April the 8th, which is when we finished up our recording, just a couple of quick birthdays. You guys know I like to bring the nerd. 1460, the man who spent his life searching for the fountain of youth, Juan Ponce de Leon. Happy birthday here in 1460. You know that both Philly and I are huge New York Mets fans. And I believe his favorite New York Met from that team celebrated his birthday today, although unfortunately he passed due to brain cancer. Born in 1959, the kid Gary Carter, one of the most loved players, not just in Mets history, but in baseball history. And of course, on the championship 1986, New York Mets. And then just when you thought the LAFC connections were over, we do have two. The first, Gennady Gennadovich Golovkin, Triple G. Happy birthday today. April the 8th, born in 1982, which means he's just one year older than I am, and his LAFC connection, he had his workouts and pre-fight press conference and everything else at Bank of California Stadium before he fought Canelo Alvarez. Of course, a lot of Angelinos really interested in the Canelo versus Triple G fight. But Nina, we have one more significant LAFC birthday today here on April 8th. Why don't you tell the fans whose birthday it is today? Yes, we do. Today, celebrating his 27th birthday is Muhammad Al-Munir, who actually also had his first appearance for the Black and Gold. So I think that's a pretty good birthday present. Yeah, happy birthday, Muhammad Al-Munir. I've talked about it several times that I really wish we would have kept Joao Moutinho over Mohamed El Munir, but we are not going to spoil his birthday with me hating on Mohamed El Munir, even though Joao Moutinho started the last three games and played all 90 minutes for Orlando City. It's okay. not Moutinho's birthday. It is not Moutinho's birthday, but he has two assists so far on the season as well. So after we've talked about our birthdays, you guys know we like to do our This Day in LAFC history, and Nina touched on the first topic for This Day in LAFC history. It is history when it's one of our players' birthdays, so happy birthday to Mohamed El Munir. But like we talked about, this episode actually recorded over two days, April. April 7th and April 8th. And of course, who can forget the dark day that was April 7th, 2018, the Atlanta United dismantling of LAFC in Atlanta, 5-0. At least they went on to win the MLS Cup, so we shouldn't feel too bad about losing to the eventual MLS champions, but we're talking about a 5 nothing drubbing, and my boy Joao, even though I would rather have him over Mohamed El Munir, this was probably his worst game as a professional, saw red in the 92nd minute. Julian Gressel, Joseph Martinez, two PKs for Miguel Almiron, and then Romario Williams scoring in the 97th minute. We were absolutely manhandled in Atlanta. 5 nothing. April 7th, 2018. But Nina, we also had some Bank of California history happening on April 7th, 2019, just yesterday when we started to record this podcast. Yes, we did. This day in LAFC history actually centers around Bank of California Stadium, where the U.S. women's national team took on Belgium in a 6-0 destruction. We looked incredible out there. There were a few concerns going into the match about possibly having some holes in our back line, but I think the clean sheet speaks for itself. We definitely held on to that. Just to highlight a few goals real quick on that, 
Carly Lloyd scoring two, having her 106th and 107th goal. And then Alex Morgan coming in for her 101st goal. And you know what? I got to give a shout out to Alex Morgan. She is a Southern California girl born and raised in San Dimas, California. San Dimas High School football rules. If anybody gets the reference, let us know on Instagram or Twitter. She began playing soccer at age 14. And by the time she was 17, she actually had made our U20 team. So that girl's got a lot of talent, and I love watching her play. Yeah, you know, we have a lot of greatness playing for the U.S. women's national team right now. Two of our seven players in our nation's history for the women's team who have scored over 100 goals. An incredible 271st cap there for Carly Lloyd. She's fifth all-time in caps. She's tied for fourth all-time in goals. You know, a 6 nothing win at the bank, it was pretty incredible. But I'm a little disappointed in the crowd at Bank of California Stadium, not because they weren't loud, not because they weren't supportive, but because we came up about a 1,000 tickets short of a sellout for the best national team in United States history, maybe other than the men's basketball dream team. But you know what? The Women's World Cup has been played, I believe it's seven or eight times, no matter what the number is, if it's seven or if it's eight. The U.S. Women's National Team, the worst we have ever finished, is winning the consolation game for third place. We've won the World Cup several times. We finished second in the World Cup several times, and we finished third in the World Cup several times. And that's the worst we've ever done. And it wasn't quite a sellout crowd there. 20,941. But you know what? It was a raucous, enthusiastic crowd. I don't think Belgium got the memo that they were actually playing until after the 33rd minute, as they gave up four goals in the first 33. And like you had mentioned, a couple for Carly Lloyd and one for Alex Morgan. Congrats to the U.S. women's national team on their 6-0 win at Bank of California Stadium. And that brings us into some LAFC news. Just a couple of quick highlights, both revolving around Diego Rossi. First, on April 3rd, it was announced that Diego Rossi was fined for simulation or embellishment. And that's basically, for those of you NBA fans out there, that's a fine for flopping. And for those of you Italy and Argentina fans out there, that's just how our teams have learned to play the game. I'm a Team Italy fan myself. Again, a big fan of the Azuri, but we tend to fall down just a little bit. If you ever watch Luis Suarez play, he's another great example of players that flop way, way, way too much. But, you know, Diego Rossi now being talked about in refereeing circles before the game to make sure they watch out that Diego is not drawing a foul by embellishing some of these non-contact fouls that he might be getting from time to time. He certainly received some contact in the DC United game, which is what we're going to talk about in a little bit. But Rossi became the second LAFC player in as many weeks fined. Of course, last week it was Steven Betashore fined. He got into a little bit of a dust-up with one of the RSL players trying to get the ball back for a throw-in, so he was fined a small amount for that. And of course, this week, Diego Rossi fined for the embellishment and simulation of a non-foul in our last game. But a little bit more news surrounding Diego Rossi and Carlos Vela. Both were named to the MLS Team of the Week this week. So congratulations to both Rossi and Vela. A bit of a no-brainer that they were both named to the MLS Team of the Week. Not only did they both get named to the MLS Team of the Week, but Vela is currently the top goal scorer in MLS and also the top assist maker. We love this guy. He is our life. He is our blood. Black and gold all the way. Yeah, Carlos Vela, about as good as they come, definitely leading the case for the MVP race so far. So those are a couple of different news and notes around LAFC. But there was one more big piece of news that might have been swept under the radar by most, but it involved one of our owners, Mia Ham Garcia Para. And I know, Nina, you wanted to talk about this as there's a pretty big NWSL connection with this. Yes, there is in the NWSL. It's been said for a while now that Mia Ham wanted to start an NWSL team here at Bank of California Stadium in line with our black and gold, in line with LAFC's brand. And originally it was thought that this would be a connection with Barcelona and we would partner with them to create this team. And it looks as if now, based on a quote from Mia Hamm, that that is not the case, that this did not go in the direction that they wanted, and that instead we're going to take this on ourselves and we're going to make sure that it is in line 
with our brand and it's true to the black and gold. Yeah, you know what Mia said in the quote, and I'm going to read part of the quote for you right now. She said, obviously, it's a top priority of ours, meaning the LAFC ownership group and of me personally, Mia Hamm. And last year they were talking about it, but she says it kind of got tabled just so they could get through their first year of the MLS And I love what she says here. She doesn't mention Barcelona when she says we had early discussions last year about maybe partnering with a group, but that didn't go in the direction we thought because we are building such a brand here and that's important for us to do. So when we make that commitment, we want to make sure we can go all in and do it right, just like we've done with the men's team. And to me, that means we are going to see a brand new startup venture, in my opinion, through the black and gold, not through Barca. And I think L.A. will certainly welcome an NWSL team. And I would love to see Alex Morgan on that team. I know she might not be willing to step away from her some of her U.S. women's national team teammates that she also plays with over on Orlando. But I would love it if we could lure her back here and make her black and gold. Yeah, but Orlando is one of those tax-free cities that a lot of athletes, you know, these women don't make a ton, a ton of money. So the way that you can kind of circumvent some of those downfalls and how much you make is go to some of these tax-free states and certainly Florida, one of those where you get taxed a lot less than Los Angeles. Look, that's going to be an impediment for anybody to come and play for the LAFC women's team if we do start one. But look, the good things that we have going for it, I don't know if you guys have met any of the 32-52, but can you imagine getting behind the women's team just like we do the men's team with the 32-52? It'd be absolutely incredible. A lot of young girls out there and women want to come and watch these women play on a professional level so bank of california would be a perfect landing spot for this nwsl team and of course we here at defenders of the bank fully support mia ham and the ownership group in their endeavor to start an nwsl team you know before we get into our usl roundup and our lafc connections there is a bit of a segue there. If you do not already own the ESPN Plus app, of course, that has the We Are LAFC mini documentary series. So if you already haven't downloaded the ESPN Plus app and paid for the year so that you could watch We Are LAFC, there is another fantastic reason now to own the ESPN Plus app. It was announced this week that all of the U.S. Open Cup games will be broadcast exclusively on the ESPN Plus app. Of course, we went down in a heartbreaker off of a missed penalty by Laurent Simon to the Houston Dynamo last year in the U.S. Open Cup. But I can't wait to see what LAFC is going to do this year in the Open Cup. And if we don't have a home game, you better believe I'm going to be tuning in on my ESPN Plus app so that I can watch our away games in the U.S. Open Cup. So again, the U.S. Open Cup, all their games going to be broadcast on the ESPN Plus app. App. You know what we wanted to do here as we're about five, six weeks into our season, but some of these other leagues only a couple weeks into their season. We're going to talk about the USL. That's right, the United Soccer League. And I know, Nina, you wanted to give a quick breakdown first about the structure of the USL before we get into some of these LAFC connections. Yes, the USL actually recently redid their structure. It's very interesting because there's been a lot of talk within these different leagues for quite some time now as to whether they could move to a promotion relegation, copying an international style, or if we can even truly support that and really grow and expand our development structure as a league and as a United States soccer program. And this has been discussed amongst different leagues, the NPSL being the one that competes directly with the USL on a lower level. But the USL actually has three tiers. You have the USL Championship, the USL League One, USL League Two, and actually they even have a youth league. So they're truly working on developing their talent within and the players would move within the league. But we haven't yet seen that promotion and relegation structure that's so common in our European football friends. Yeah, you know, let me break it down for you a little bit simpler. For you baseball fans out there, we're talking about the USL Championship being AAA baseball, USL League One being AA baseball, and USL League Two being single A baseball. You know, you do mention that the NPSL is competing in a way with the USL, and I know, Nina, you have a bit of a professional background once working for one of the NPSL teams here in Southern California. 
I don't think it's much of a competition. The MLS certainly seems to have embraced the USL and especially LAFC. And with that, we're going to talk about a few of our connections in the USL as we move forward through this season. First in League One, which is the second division of the USL and what we would consider the third division of United States professional soccer, so double A baseball. We've got a team out in Arizona, Tucson FC. They have played their first two games in their team's history as a USL League One team, a 3-1 win over Orlando City's B team. That's right, the MLS squad Orlando City has their B team in the USL League One, and then a 3-1 loss to a team called the South Georgia Tormenta FC. And Tormenta means storm. And their logo looks just like the Pelicans. The Pelicans obviously using a Pelican on their logo. And the South Georgia Tormenta using an Ibis. There we go, bringing the nerd again. An Ibis and a Pelican. And yes, this is how he sounds when we go on dates. I I don't just talk about Ibises and Pelicans, but... Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a nerdy guy. So the two games, a 3-1 win and a 3-1 loss for Tucson FC, why are those significant? Because starting in goal for both of those games is a friend of the podcast and a member of the LAFC Black and Gold family, Philip Ejimadu, has been their starting goalie for the first two games of their season. So congratulations to Philip Ejimadu getting his first professional win in his career for Tucson FC, that 3-1 victory over Orlando City's B team. And again, with an MLS connection there. And just in case you were wondering, a couple of other teams with MLS or at least Defenders of the Bank podcast connections, Toronto FC, that's right, the Eastern Conference team Toronto, both Toronto and Orlando have their second level teams playing in League One. And one of my favorite teams out there, Forward Madison FC. If you're not familiar with Forward Madison FC, I don't blame you. They've only been around for a couple of months now. They've started playing as a professional team here in League One. Their fourth kit, that's right, we can't even get a third kit going on here, but Forward Madison has been a team for like six minutes. Their fourth kit is a beautiful black and gold kit. Is the third kit a throwback? I think their third kit is pink. I know their colors. Here, check it out. If you guys have some time right now, while you're listening to us, Google Forward Madison FC's logo. And I became a fan because their logo is a pretty sweet flamingo. It's pink and blue. And so that's why I kind of started watching the team. I was like, that's just a cool looking logo. And then they came out with their fourth kit and it was black and gold. And I was like, hey, I kind of have to be a fan of Forward Madison FC, at least when they're wearing the black and gold. So Sold. Orlando City B, Toronto FC 2, and Forward Madison FC, as well as, of course, Tucson FC with Philip Ejimadu in goal. That rounds up our League One wrap up. But then we go to the USL Championship Division. And, Nina, you and I got to check out a pretty significant USL championship game last season at Great Park down in Irvine. Yes, we did. We were there to see Phoenix Rising take on Orange County Soccer Club, and it was quite a game. We went down in hopes of watching and cheering on Tristan Blackman and Shaft Brewer for Phoenix Rising, went down in our black and gold gear, sat fieldside, had a great time, were able to shake their hands after the game, get them to autograph our little soccer ball that we had. And it was an incredible experience to be able to sit there and support two players that we really haven't gotten to see a lot of recently, but it was nice to be down there and to see them on the field and see them in their element again. Yeah, you know, it was nice being down there. Of course, we got to be right there pitch side, like you had mentioned. We had fantastic seats to watch both Tristan and Shaft play. And congratulations again to Phoenix Rising FC. They won the USL Western Conference Championship last year. They turned it into a home game down there at Great Park in Irvine. Of course, Orange County Soccer Club was the LAFC affiliate last season, but we broke ties with them at the end of the season ending our run with Orange County Soccer Club. But we've got a lot of ties in the USL Championship Division. First, really quickly, for the Las Vegas Lights, there is a player still listed on their roster with LAFC ties. He has yet to make an appearance this season, but Brian De La Fuente, who was a training camp addition to the 2018 LAFC squad, never made the black and gold, never played very much at all, but he was there in training camp for our first season, Brian De La Fuente still rostered for the Las Vegas Lights. And of course, down in Austin, Texas, playing in their inaugural season, Austin Bold FC 
Callum Malice. That's right. We remember the Scottish kid, Callum Malice. He's getting some decent playing time now for Austin Bold FC. They notched their first ever win in professional soccer on March the 30th. They also just lost to the Sacramento Republic FC. And for those of you guys that remember, we played Sacramento Republic in the preseason of our opening year. We also played them in the Open Cup in our first year, and they are a team with legitimate MLS aspirations. They just had a open conference call, I believe, announcing their run to try and make an MLS team out of Sacramento Republic FC. Callum Alice got 75 minutes in that game. He is playing significant minutes for Austin Bold FC, at least early on in the season. So a couple of teams to watch there, Las Vegas Lights, Austin Bold FC, but of course, we are all very, very familiar with the team that Nina had mentioned, Phoenix Rising FC. They've started their season with no wins and no losses, but four, count them, four ties on the year. And they have six players with LAFC connections on their roster right now. Of course, you had mentioned Tristan Blackman and Shaft Brewer Jr., but we have Amadou Dia, Javi Perez, Josh Perez, and our big 6'4 defender that I can't wait to see back in the black and gold, Lamar Batista. All six of those players have seen playing time throughout the year so far for Phoenix Rising FC. And again, a shout out to Los Banditos, the supporters group for Phoenix Rising FC that turned Great Park in Irvine into a home game for Phoenix Rising FC last year in the Western Conference Championship. So that's a little bit of a USL rundown. Again, Tucson FC in League One, the Las Vegas Lights, Austin Bold FC, and Phoenix Rising FC in the USL Championship Division. One last quick mention here, the Canadian Premier League, that's right, the CPL kicks off later on in the month of April, and there is a bit of an LAFC connection for Forge FC out of Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. They will be playing at Tim Hortons Field in beautiful Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Of course, all of you Canadian Football League fans out there already know that as the home of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, but it will now be home to Forge FC, and on their roster is a player who was on our roster all of last season, but we never got to see him play. Quillen Roberts will be one of the goalies, at least, to start out the year for Forge FC of the Canadian Premier League, which begins their inaugural season in just a couple of weeks. And that rounds out our USL and Canadian Premier League LAFC roundup. It is time to talk about capital punishment. That's right. The 4 nothing win over the DC United. It was billed on Fox as a battle of two heavyweights, first in the West, taking on first in the East. And of course, on the 23rd anniversary of the first ever MLS game, which ironically enough was also, I believe, a DC United loss, we took it to DC in their home stadium at Audi Field. And, you know, let's talk real quick about the pregame show. The Fox coverage chose to start their pregame show in a pretty interesting location. Yes, they started out in D.C. United's North End. And honestly, this North End is nothing like our North End. Yes, there were people there. They were on their feet. They were also on their phones. And they were kind of cheering. Yeah, all dozen of them. Yeah, there were a few people in the crowd. As the coach Ben Olsen found himself in the North End being interviewed, you know, it wasn't as impressive as you would have thought for being the home of the Ultras. Yeah, you know, people don't realize DC United, they were the first great club in Major League Soccer history. They played in all four of the first four MLS Cups. They won three of them and lost one. And this was really where MLS supporters culture began. In fact, one of their main supporters groups are called the District Ultras. And that's where the District Ultras MLS supporters culture kind of came out of. They're in D.C. You know, I know we're spoiled here at Bank of California Stadium because we have the 3252. And if you were to come into the 3252 pregame, first of all, there wouldn't be room for Bob Bradley to stand in there, but let alone 
alone. Bob Bradley's not walking into the crowd an hour before game time. He's getting our boys ready. He's not worried about PR. He's worried about kicking the other team's butt. And that's exactly what happened here. And it was so sad. I mean, they talked about, yeah, maybe DC United are back. Their supporters' culture looks great. And then they would zoom out, and the supporters' section would be about an eighth full. It was pretty depressing there. In fact, while it was, I believe, the largest attended game on the season for DC United, still not a sellout. Yeah, it's quite depressing to see so many empty seats in a section that you really thought very highly of before. Yeah, you know, DC United, again, look, they won three of the first four MLS Cups. They also won the Cup again in 2004. So they've got four MLS Cups in their team history. You cannot take that away from them. But from 2005 until the signing of Wayne Rooney last year, they have been one of the league's doormats for the last 10, 12 years or so. So look, it would have been nice if this would have turned into the heavyweight fight that they thought it was going to. Three of their defenders, I believe, pretty highly rated on MLS's defensive statistics, but that was not to be the case. And I think LAFC started out the game kind of setting the tone early, a couple of hard tackles in the first couple of minutes. But what struck me first is the interesting formation choices. DC United and LAFC both lined up in a 4-2-3-1 formation. And for those of you who don't love and kind of obsess over soccer formations the way I do, this formation allows for a really powerful attack with a strong defensive core. It has the benefit of a diamond structure of the 4-4-2, but with a narrowed centered attack, which is really great because that's how LAFC has proven to score most of our goals. We come at them right down the middle. We have a heavy counterattack, and our goals are quick, precise, and killer. Yeah, you know, LAFC came out pressing with a much higher line than they normally do. They talked about D.C. United really putting in a compact defense there in the middle of the field, and that's because D.C. United knew that we are best on the counterattack. We certainly showed that throughout the game, but some sloppy passing, not a lot of possession through the first nine minutes, even though you know we came out, a couple of hard fouls there kind of set the tone, but not a lot going on through the first nine minutes, and then a terrible handball in the box. That arm stretched out wide, and Carlos Vela able to get a penalty kick off of the bad handball, but something that has never happened to Carlos Vela in his MLS history. Kind of a weak attempt there by Carlos Vela as he went right, but Bill Hamid, one of the best goalies in the MLS, read it all the way. Yeah, Hamid was patient on that line. He really waited for Vela to commit, and Vela's pretty good at outlasting keepers and making them commit to going a certain way and then catching them as they're just leaning in the other direction. And, you know, you and I talked about this while we were watching the game. We had flashbacks to Simon in the Open Cup and missing that PK that would have taken us to the next level. Yeah, you know, if we're allowed to criticize Carlos Vela's game at all. It was that kind of weakly struck penalty kick that he took there, but he did get a second effort at it, bounced that one off of the woodwork as well, got a third, and that forced a corner kick. And, you know, for a lot of players, that would maybe send them down in the dumps a little bit. Maybe they lose a little bit of focus for part of the game, maybe until halftime, until Bob Bradley has to shake it out of them. But not Carlos Vela. No, he was smiling. He had that look that said, I'm going to get you. Well, I think it was also that sheepish kind of look like, yeah, I know. I didn't do very well on that. But we have another 75 minutes to go. So don't you worry. And it was there in the 15th minute. The announcers were talking about it before the game. They were talking about it during the game. The magical left foot of Carlos Vela with the goal there in the 15th minute. And that was the first time the DC United had trailed all season after the magical goal there by Carlos Vela, his seventh goal on the season. Like you had mentioned, he's atop the golden boot list right now, the highest scoring player in the MLS. After the 15th, we kind of lost focus just a little bit. A couple of bad fouls from Mark Anthony Kay. I was actually pretty surprised after the 18th that he didn't get called for a yellow. But after that, you know, Vela made another nice run, although he was offside in the 19th minute. And another offside run, but a good takeaway there in the middle of the pitch in the 22nd, 23rd minute. Another giveaway there for Canals. He had a couple of really bad giveaways for DC United. We got the ball back in the 25th minute, but I think Vela tried to do a little bit too much. He had Mark Anthony K at the top of the box ready for a great pass, but he chose to take the shot. So the poor decision 
not leading to a good result there in the 25th. And also in the 25th, what became a theme through the first 25 minutes of the game was Dio on the ground. Yeah, it was unfortunate to see that because I really expected a lot more of Dio. He's usually able to body up guys a little more and to withstand a little more. But we saw a lot of Dio on the ground and he ends up getting subbed out. Christian Ramirez comes on for Dio. Yeah, that was in the 25th minute. We'll talk a little bit more about how the subs put LAFC in a little bit of a precarious position later on in the pod, but it became apparent that it was just not going to be Dio's game. He took a couple of knocks, but he just seemed a little bit out of sorts at the start of the game too. So Dio comes off, Christian Ramirez comes in, and right after the substitution, a beautiful ball from Carlos Vela to Diego Rossi to make it 2 nothing. And I know MLS is going to take a look at this. They've already credited him with a hat trick, but I'm surprised that this one isn't coming back. I believe this is the one that looked like it might have been an own goal off the D.C. United defender. Yeah, not too sure if it came off of Rossi or if it came off of that defender. When we watched it in slow motion from the right angle, it does look like it's off that defender's knee. Yeah, absolutely goes in the back of the net off the DC United defender, but you know Rossi was clearly the last LAFC player to touch it, so he'll get credit for the goal either way on that one. After the goal there by Diego Rossi, though, DC United came right back, made a great run, but an offside cross in the 29th minute there for DC United. And this one really intrigued me because as you're watching, you can see the AR on the far side kind of start to half signal that offside call and then he keeps running and allows play to continue to later call that offside and you know what they've said to the assistant referees and the referees when they're watching this what have they said (laughs) they have told the referees to hold their flags down to give the advantage to go ahead and let play continue because they can always use the VAR to call a goal back but you can't create that advantage again you can't create that play again and this is a total change from referee mindset before we had this technology available to us before you used to think more defensive mindedly and doing the least damage and now it's switched completely to allow it to continue and we can always change our minds you cannot recreate those chances Yeah, you're absolutely right. After that goal by Diego Rossi, again, we talked about that offside cross in the 29th minute for D.C. United, and then a silly foul on Latif Blessing after a good free ball by D.C. It led to a soft save, but that ball pinballed around in the box several times, starting with a great cross from Wayne Rooney. I mean, look, he didn't stick around, and we'll talk a little bit more about this later on the podcast for most of the game, but the pinpoint passing and accuracy by Wayne Rooney, the guy is certainly, you know, he doesn't need me to tell him he's one of the most special players to lace him up here in the MLS. But you saw the quality in the limited number of chances that he had. But it was Mark Anthony Kay in the 33rd minute. We thought, we wondered at the start of the season who Mark Anthony Kay would be as he came back from that broken ankle against Carson last season. And, you know, much to our benefit, he is not the player he was last year. I think he's actually a better version of that player he was last year. Had two takeaways there to get the ball back from D.C. United. A beautiful pass to Rossi on the left-hand side. Rossi puts it in the back of the net for what would be his second goal of the game so far in the 33rd minute. A beautiful finish by Diego. It was an incredible goal. Rossi's second goal and the second time he's done it on the first touch. I love those quick, beautiful goals. I could watch them all day. Yeah, Rossi is clinical out there with that shot. He loves coming in there from the left side, but... A lot of the hard work done on that play by Mark Anthony K. Kind of a lazy back and forth after that until about the 40th minute. We got a little bit of action, nothing crazy, but again, we saw our back line losing communication just a little bit there. We had to make a couple of scrambling plays to clear the ball out of their box. Another great chance by Rossi and Christian Ramirez after another perfect pass by Latif Blessing. I know they were talking about it on the broadcast quite a bit on how Latif has really been able to fill that passing role there, even though he's playing kind of a winger or midfield role. He's doing a great job in some extended minutes. Another save by Bill Hamid after a shot by Carlos Vela in the 44th minute. Of course, Beta forcing a corner for LAFC in stoppage time. Nothing happened there. 
but a bad foul right before the halftime whistle by Eddie Segura at the top of the box in the 47th minute there, actually 45 plus two in stoppage time. And Wayne Rooney with a set piece, but nothing came of it. Eduardo Tuesta and Walker Zimmerman battling that one away. You know, they looked like they might have had one last chance right there before the halftime whistle, but a back pass led to the halftime whistle, and LAFC went up into the half 3 nothing. It was a beautiful first half for us, but you know what? I went into halftime and I told you I want more goals. I want to keep the clean sheet, and you know what? We were able to do both. We'll talk a little bit more about the reason that we were able to keep that clean sheet for sure. It was not all due to Tyler Miller. He got a little help from his friends, as the song goes. But as we started the second half, not a lot going on for the first five or six minutes until we might have seen Father Time catch up with Wayne Rooney just a little bit. Late on a tackle, studs up, caught Diego Rossi. No need for embellishment at all from Diego Rossi there. He's not going to get fined for that one. He went down because of a clear studs up tackle on the calf area there by Wayne Rooney, and that leads us into our wait. What? What? Moment of the podcast. That's right. It is clearly the red card shown to Wayne Rooney in the 52nd minute. But it wasn't that clear at first because at first the referee attempted to issue a yellow card and they went back, looked at that VAR and gave the no-no finger pulling that red out of his back pocket. Yeah, really surprising outcome there here in the game. I mean, look, they were already down 3 nothing, but DC United had plenty of good chances. A lot of them created by Wayne Rooney, but this one a clear red after we went back to VAR. And you know what? You're welcome, Montreal, because you're not going to have to face Wayne Rooney. I think it's tomorrow or two days from now, depending on when you're listening to this, when DC United is going to take on Montreal. Montreal currently sitting in seventh, but could jump to fourth or fifth with a win over DC United. That is very possible now that Wayne Rooney is going to be out. Yeah, but if I'm the fans of Montreal, I'm disappointed. Look, if I pay a ticket to go see the DC United, as much as I love Luciano Acosta and Bill Hamid and Paul Ariola and some of these other great players that DC United have, I'm going there to watch Wayne Rooney play soccer. And unfortunately, because Father Time caught up to Wayne just a little bit there, the fans of Montreal will be deprived of that. So as we move forward in the game from the 52nd to the 54th, another yellow for DC United. You kind of started to think that they were coming unglued, but after the 54th minute, you would not be able to tell that DC United was playing a man down. A couple of awful clears by LAFC in the 55th, 56th minutes, and a beautiful save, not by Tyler Miller, our goalie, but by Steven Betashore there on the back line. A sure goal saved by Steven Betashore after a bit of a lazy attempt and not a lot of great clears there by LAFC. It was Steven Betashore saving a goal. Of course, the yellow card called on Briant in the 64th minute didn't help DC United. He made no attempt at the ball there as he sent Latif flying. But, you know, I believe it could have also been a red, you know, if you don't make an attempt like that. But I'm glad they didn't call the red. Then it would have been down nine men. And for those of you who don't know the way fouls work in soccer, you have three tiers, essentially, of fouls that can occur. You can have a careless foul, which is going to result in a direct free kick, a reckless foul, which is going to get you that yellow card, or one that uses excessive force and that's how you're going to earn your red so yeah after the yellow card to Briant that led to another fantastic chance on a set piece off the yellow he hit the corner of the woodwork there where the goal post and the crossbar come together that he being Edward Atuesta again having an absolute breakout season at 21 years old the Colombian has been everywhere for LAFC this time it wasn't Vela curling it on the near corner it was Atuesta and it was a nice thing to see was obviously on the side that's not favored by Vela so it was a really interesting free kick to watch and I love that we keep hitting that near post we are gonna score so many goals curling it in like that yeah Atuesta just showing us one more tool in the arsenal for this fast developing kid from Colombia again only 21 years old he might be an MVP candidate a little bit further down the road but unfortunately Carlos Vela taking all the oxygen out of that room right now so after the 67th minute we bang it off 
the woodwork. It's time for the debut of the birthday boy, Mohammed El Munir, subbing in for Jordan Harvey in the 70th minute. That would bring us to only having one more substitution left, and we'll talk about why that'll be significant a little bit later on. Right after he comes in, though, it's a save made by Stephen Betashore once again, this time at about the 6 in the 72nd minute. So we're talking about two saves on the game made by Stephen Betashore. I mean, look, we were up a man. This game very easily could have been 3-2, to two, but right after that, because of Christian Ramirez on a beautiful pass, we had some magic happen in the 76th. Yes, in the 76th minute, Rossi gets his third goal. He got that hat trick assisted by Christian Ramirez, and it was beautiful. Not that quick one-touch goal, but still a beauty in itself. Yeah, we kept the attack on in the 78th. Christian Ramirez had another shot saved by Bill Hamid. And in the 79th, it was time to give the MVP a little break. Carlos Vela comes out. Adrian Perez of LMU and the Ontario Fury comes in. But that would leave us with no substitutions. And of course, right after Bob makes his third substitution, Tyler Miller picks up a solid knock in the 80th minute. He was down for just a little bit. We thought he landed on his wrist. It didn't look too good there at first. Took him a few minutes to pop up, and in my opinion, that's why we had five minutes of stoppage time at the end of the game. And what I liked is you saw on the television broadcast after they pan over from Tyler Miller to Coach Bob, he's looking at one of his assistant coaches going, why did you guys tell me that now would be a good time to sub out Carlos Vela? They thought they were going to be down a goalie if Tyler had to come out. Maybe he was a little sore. I think he was going to finish the game no matter what. But the broadcast there for MLS on Fox, they went through all the different players who have played goal that weren't goalies, maybe a midfielder or a defenseman, whatever it might be. So if you guys are interested in getting in on this conversation, hit us up at Defenders of the Bank on Instagram and Facebook and at Defend the Bank on Twitter. Who would you like to see between the pipes for LAFC if we ever have one of these emergency goalie situations? I know my favorite candidate because I've seen him jump as high in the air as anybody else out there, and I think he is as fearless of a player in the MLS. I'd love to see Latif between the pipes. What about you, Nina? I would love to see Walker Zimmerman step back there. And you know what? My choice in that is a little bit tactical. As one of our strongest defensive men and a great center back, Walker can truly control that back line. I would switch it to a three-man defense and have him almost play as a fourth defenseman and also a keeper, someone who can use his hands in the box. And I also think he talks well out there and he could really control our boys and help them to step up the way they need to if we should ever find ourselves in that situation. Yeah, I just think Latif would be pretty cool back there. I don't think it has any strategic benefit to LAFC at all. I would just rather watch Starman there go after every single thing he can back there with old number seven between the pipes. An awful pass, by the way, from Adrian Perez in the 83rd minute. I mean, a giveaway that was almost reminiscent of Andre Horta's first touch. A beautiful save by Tyler Miller there in the 83rd, really preserving the clean sheet, the last real chance that D.C. United had, even though, like we said, there were five minutes of stoppage time, not much going on at the end of that game. I mean, honestly, after the 55th, maybe 60th minute, it did not seem like D.C. United were down a man. You know, they didn't have any one player making great runs, but there they were time and time and time again with the ball in our own half of the zone, really making us work out there. Look, it was pretty easier. At least we made it look easy getting to 3 nothing, And then after that, it was a real slugfest put on by the D.C. United, and that was down a man. So look, this team is going to be dangerous no matter what. We may see them, hopefully we'll see them in the MLS Cup playoffs because that means we're playing for the MLS Cup as they're in the East and we are in the West but a huge win, and I teased this earlier on in the podcast. With that win, we broke a Carson Galaxy record. That's right, the most goals in MLS history through a team's first six games. The record previously held by Carson, we break that record by one goal, and I want to make sure that I mention it was Julian 
Cardio of ProSoccerUSA.com. That's where I found that information. So a big thank you to Julian. The most goals through six games in MLS history. That mark is now owned by your black and gold Los Angeles Football Club. So congratulations to them. That will end our wrap-up of the DC United 4 nothing thrashing that we are calling Capital Punishment. But a couple more important dates on the schedule, both April 13th and April 21st. Nina, you've got some exciting news about April 13th. Yes, April 13th, we're going to be celebrating Earth Day and LAFC in our traditional fashion. We are not just about going out there and having a good time and kicking some soccer butt. But we are also about giving back to our community and making sure that we're playing and loving and living in a safe environment. We're going to be doing a beach cleanup that morning. Go ahead and check out Instagram and stay tuned there to see where exactly to meet up. But take the metro down to Santa Monica. It's going to be in the Santa Monica area for a beach cleanup that morning. Then head on back on the metro down to Christmas Tree Lane for some great tailgating and another exciting game home at the bank. Yeah, that'll be the debut for FC Cincinnati here at Bank of California Stadium on April 13th. So make sure you come out to the bank. It's been a little while since we had a home game at Bank of California Stadium. So check out FC Cincinnati's game on April 13th. But the exciting one for us here at Defenders of the Bank has to be April 21st, our first of two games in seven or eight days against the Seattle Sounders. But this one, of course, at home at Bank of California Stadium, April 21st, will be the first official Defenders of the Bank tailgate sponsored by Riley's Brewing. If you are not familiar with Riley's Brewing, you are missing out. It is owned and operated by Amanda McNook. That's right. That is the same last name as our Falconer, LAFC Falconer, Ken McNook. That's because Ken is the proud papa to Amanda McNook, and she has been extremely gracious to us here at Defenders of the Bank. You've heard us mention Amanda and Ethan and Ken and everybody else in the LAFC Falconer family. Well, she is going to be sponsoring our tailgate with Defenders of the Bank Honey Blonde Ale. So please come out to the tent and check out Riley's Brewing's specially bottled Defenders of the Bank Honey Blonde Ale. We're also going to have our Defenders of the Bank pins. That's right. We've got the pins back in for $5 a pin. We'll have those for sale. We blew through our first 100 in just a couple of hours. So if you're interested in some Defenders of the Bank pins, we'll have those. We'll also have the Support Los Angeles Soccer sticker, which of course makes fun of the season ticket package that the Carson Galaxy sent their fans at the beginning of the year. I think we did a pretty good job making fun of that one. So if you wanted to support Los Angeles soccer, you can certainly do that. And of course, we'll have our scarves for sale as well. Really exciting pins, scarves, stickers. You can come and hang out with Philly and myself. And of course, Amanda and Nino will be out there as well. We'll have some appearances by El Catrin Muerto. He'll be stopping by. We'll have LAFC soccer head out there. He'll be stopping by. A rumored appearance by LAFC's 12th man, the Gary Gold. He might also be stopping by. It is going to be an incredible tailgate April 21st before the game against the Sounders at Bank of California Stadium. Make sure you head out to Christmas Tree Lane early. We will be there amongst the supporters groups, and we want to say a big thank you to the 3252 for allowing us a little bit of space there on Christmas Tree Lane to have our first official Defenders of the Bank tailgate so come on out again check us out at the tailgate and this about wraps up our sweet 16 episode number 16 of defenders of the bank here at philomonster studios with scarfette nina to my right this has been the scarf jr liebert saying thank you so much for tuning in to episode 16 and you guys know how we sign off thanks again for listening and bye bye, bye.